Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Um, welcome. We are a church here at Great Oaks that's just simply striving to follow Scripture and follow the Bible um, and live like Christ. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Uh, however, God's church is perfect and the plan for that is perfect. So we're glad that you're here today. Um, if you have any questions about the things you hear or see, please let us know. We'd love to talk to you further about that. If you look around, there's quite a few of us that might be tired today. Over 150 of us went to camp this past week in Arkansas, and there's no tired like camp tired. I saw some people in the, in the lobbies that were struggling, in the classes that were struggling, So, um, but we made it back safely. Um, and a lot of us are probably scratching a whole lot. I think every mosquito in Arkansas showed up. Um, I think they all told their friends and family that we were there, so they showed up and it was rough. But also, I had to hobble up here and limp a little bit. I learned that 41-year-old knees do not need to play capture the flag, and so be mindful and, and pray for some of these adults who are hobbling around today that the kids got the best of us. Um, a paraphrase from Chuck, he said, if you just stay on the couch and don't do anything, you won't get hurt. And he kept telling me that afterwards, but um, also, if there's any of you that want some extra towels or underwear or socks or water bottles, there's a whole bunch in the gym if you want to pass through there and get some. Um, just feel free to grab those. But on top of all of that, one of the most amazing things of the week is we had four um, young people that committed their lives to Christ. And so I believe all four of them are here today. Um, Noah Carey, if you would stand, and Ashton Moore. These are two of our youth that are here that go. And we also have two others that are here also. Garrett Beck, he's a friend of Owen Miller. Garrett, are you here? Yeah, he's back in the back. Hey, Garrett. And then also we have Mary Mac Taylor, who's the cousin of Lacey Spate. I think she's, yeah, here she is up here. So we are very blessed to have those four individuals. We had a lot of, of tears, a lot of joy throughout the week, and so it was a blessing. So we're thankful for that and the fact that we all made it back safely. So if you want to be a part of that next year, um, please let us know. It was a great week to have um, for all of us to be there. The theme of our week that week um, was unashamed, and we spent a lot of time talking and emphasizing lessons and classes and conversations about what it meant to be um, courageous and not be ashamed of our faith and of Christ and of God and of our Savior. And so we discussed what even what the action should look like for us after we have that courage. And it was awesome. I was blessed to get to spend time with our 11th and 12th graders in Bible class all week. And there was one day that we spent time looking at um, the account of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And specifically the courage that Nathan had to go to him and tell him about his sin, how he was unashamed to speak for God. But today I want to revisit that account a little bit, but look at it from a different perspective. Because there's a whole lot that we can learn um, not only from Nathan, but also from David. And so and we've got to learn that um, we can be courageous when going to talk to people about, about God, but also we have to be courageous ourselves when someone comes and bring, brings God to us. And so today we're going to be reading a lot from God's Word because it can do a lot better than I can sometimes in explaining things. So, but before we begin, if you would, let's open up with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to come here today and worship freely. And we pray that what we do here can be done in spirit and truth and that we can glorify you. We pray that as we 
read from your word that we can gain courage and strength to go out these walls and be who you want us to be. Thank you for the four um, this past week that committed to you. We're so thankful for Noah and Ashton and, and Garrett and Merrimack and, and all the others who have um, recommitted their lives to you. We pray that you will bless each of these in their new walk with you, and we pray that you will guide them and give us the encouragement also to strengthen their faith as we walk beside them. Thank you for loving us, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 39, Genesis 39, we're going to look today at David's response to temptation. But before we do, I want us to look back at another account, an example in Scripture, when someone was presented with temptation and how he handled it. Um, Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. I love the account of, of of Joseph and all that he endured with regard to the temptations that he faced, starting in verse 1, says, Now Joseph had been brought to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the, from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. You can see just from this alone already how much God was blessing Joseph because of how committed he was to God. Everything he touched, he blessed, even in the Egyptian's home. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do a great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph, day after she spoke day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Day after day, Joseph was tempted day after day. What an awesome example to follow. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed everything that he had. And in the midst of this, Satan continued to throw his darts in this form. So he didn't just refuse once, he refused over and over, day after day. He was not ashamed to use God as his reasoning for why he couldn't do this and why he needed to do what was right. And sometimes we sin in a lot with a lot less temptation. But I wanted to bring this up today early in our lesson because just to give you hope that we can overcome temptation, as Joseph did day after day. But we see another example in today's um, situation where temptation wasn't so easily thwarted. Turn to, to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the account that we looked at during the week, but we didn't look at it from this perspective. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find David the king of Israel here, the man after God's own heart in a situation in which temptation was there, yet he made a poor decision. And after that, he found himself spiraling down, making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. 
You know, in Acts, Paul tells us and reminds a group of people that this man was a man after God's own heart. In Acts 13, 22, Paul reminds the people that about, about David, it was said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. So we read that about David and we see what happens here and it's so confusing sometimes. Growing up, I'd always wondered how in the world could this be a man after God's own heart? But yet he was described in this way by Paul to these other people. But we find that it wasn't David's initial actions that made him a man after God's own heart. It was rather how he responded to these actions and the sins that he committed that kept him like that. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1, says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. The day, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful, and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one, and one said, As, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, now, he had, now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Verse 6, So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Then Uriah came to him. David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a, pres a present for the, from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. When they told D David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and, Ju and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are coming, are camping in the field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in the presence and drank, so that he became drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it back to the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the, of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Skip on down to verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband and when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. While the nation was in battle with the Ammonites, David looked over his kingdom and saw this beautiful woman. He should have been in battle, but yet he was in his own house. And when he saw this, he refused the temptations that he saw in front of him. And David actively inquired about this woman. He took her, and she became pregnant. And after that, you can imagine how this secret sin no longer was going to be secret. 
And so as we see in the story, he did all that he could to send Uriah home to cover up his sin. When that didn't work, he did it again after getting, David, after getting him drunk. It still didn't work. And then after that, he made a scheme to try to have him killed. And it worked. And we see after that, what he had done displeased the Lord. This was a man that we just read to, read about, that was a man after God's own heart. Yet we see this spiraling sin going further and further down. And it makes you think, what in the world? But then we see, entering, we see Nathan entering into the picture in chapter 12. So enter Nathan, a prophet of, prophet of the Lord, an advisor to David. And here we see this amazing example of what it means to be unashamed, to really carry out God's plan. Move with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It said, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had, had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought. And he brought it up and grew, grew it up with him and with his children. And he used, he used to eat and it and it used to eat of his morsel and drank from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come with him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives and as the man has done this deserves to die. And he shall return, restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he has no pity. Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of the Israel and to Judah. And, of this, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the Lord, the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and, and ha now have his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Wow. You read this and you think, yeah, you know, Nathan was doing the will of God here, but he didn't have to say yes. How many people do we see in Scripture who have the call from God to do something and they say no? The most famous that we see is jo Jonah. He was actively told by God to do this, do this thing, and he said no and ran the other way. And he was humbled in a big way after that. So Nathan didn't have to, but he did. He did. And he was specifically told, I need you to go tell David about his sin and help him see the error of his way. And, I, and to me, the, personally, the hardest thing that Nathan would have had to have said is what we see in verse 9 when he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You know, Nathan had to not only say this with confidence, knowing that what he was saying was true, he also had to say it in a way that hopefully would help David listen. And that's the hard part. We can tell people the truth, but do we say it in a way where people are actually going to listen to what we have to say? 
But Nathan had the courage and the ability to say what he needed to say in a way that he wasn't ashamed to speak where God wanted him to speak. You know, David probably respected Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of God, and, and Nathan respected David. And, and so we see he probably respected what he had to say. But being told that God is displeased with you and that what you've done is evil in the sight of God, that would have been hard to hear, no matter who you are. That's difficult to hear. Nobody wants to be called out for the things that we're doing wrong. None of us like that. But as we discussed with our 11th and 12th graders last week, we all agreed that this would have been difficult because we all value how other people look at us and the relationships that we have. And we don't want to ruin those relationships. And we don't want somebody to be upset because of what we've told them. And so we all agreed this is hard because we put so much faith and emphasis on relationships. But David, had a chance, but David did have a change of heart. And we see that change of heart not simply because he approached him, but how he approached him. Nathan approached him with a loving, in a loving way. He's, Nathan eased into the sin of David by telling him about this parable, about these two men. He, he, uh, he catered to the passionate side of, of David. And once David understood how he felt, he told them that he was the man. Nathan also explained to him his concern for him. Nathan laid out all the things that David did wrong, and not just his own opinion, but he helped him see that these sins were, from, these sins were because God says that they were wrong. We've got to be ones that can go to people and understand Scripture enough to help people see what is right from wrong. We have to help them see that sin separates us from God, and that's what Nathan did here with David. My favorite part of Nathan's approach is that not only did he tell him what was wrong, he told them that he wasn't too far from forgiveness. And that's sometimes we, that's sometimes the hard part and things that people don't always understand. Nathan told David that God had released him from being from death. But that's something that can remind us that none of us are too far from forgiveness. And we can never come to someone else who is too far from forgiveness. And Nathan pointed that out to David. Nathan also reminded David that there's going to be consequences to your sin. You know, too many times when we sin and we get forgiveness, we think that we might be completely released from the penalty of that sin. But yet we see here that that's not always the case. David had some, some follow-up as a result of his sin. But moving forward, let's look at David's reaction. Yes, Nathan was courageous. He was able to go to him in, in confidence and in love. But look at how David responded. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 12, starting in verse 13 says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do to himself some harm, but when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? 
They said, He is dead. Then David arose from, his, from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's easy for us to give Nathan the credit of being unashamed in this situation, but however, we can't forget how David responded when God was brought to him. Just as Nathan was unashamed to stand up for what God said, David also was unashamed to admit that he had sin in his life. Yeah, he felt shame, he felt guilt, but not so much that he didn't make it right. You know, how much courage does that take for us to be called out, to be corrected, and yet make a change with it? It's so hard for us to admit that we may have messed up, that sometimes we, that pride can get in the way and we can easily stand back and it can get the best of us. But notice that even after the, David's child got sick, what he did, he prayed, he fasted, he petitioned to God. He didn't get angry and say, why is this happening to me? He already knew. David, Nathan had already told him. But what's so amazing to me is after it happened, what did he go and do? He went and worshipped. A terrible thing happened, and he went and worshipped God after that. You know, at time, God's going to be with us in times of tears, laughter, anger, anger, frustration, confusion. And this account shows that to us, that God is there in the good times, and in the bad times. I came across another passage while at camp. Turn with me over to 1 Kings chapter 20. Completely unrelated passage, but I think it still applies in this sense. 1 Kings chapter 20. This passage is a, is a part of a larger account that's also worthy of study, but it reminds us that God rules and he reigns sovereign over every part of earth. 1 Kings 20, starting in verse 28, says, This is what the Lord says, Because the Armenians think the Lord is God of the hills and not of the valleys, I will deliver all this great army into your hand. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You can see here, a group of people thought that God was only, only king over this part. But God said, I'm king over this part, and this part, and this part, and this part. I'm king over it all. We have to recognize that God is an amazing God that can serve us and do amazing things over the good times, the bad times, the times that we fear, the times that we don't know what to do. He's king over it all. And David's heart recognized that whenever a friend approached him and told him what he needed to hear. As we close out, I want to end with that full passage of Psalms 51 that Brian read to us just a moment ago. Psalm 51 we see David's heart. He was described as a man after God's own heart, and I think this is, helps us understand why. Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin I did, my did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me bear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth and declare, to declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You know, you can see David's heart here. He didn't just sin and sin and sin and sin. He sinned, got corrected, and he changed. And that is a huge part of this account. We've got to be unashamed to not only help people turn away from their sin, but also when someone comes to us, not be ashamed to say, okay, let me change. And that's the twofold part of the story that we've got to take away. There are times when we may not admit it, but our actions and our words definitely show that we are ashamed to put God first. And so I challenge us today to be reflective of what we need to do when we come in contact with other people, as well as when people come in contact with us. If you're here today and you recognize that maybe you've been a coward in some way and you haven't put on Christ the way that you should or lived a life that you should, recognize that God can do amazing things in your life in the hills and the valleys. If you're one that wants to commit to Christ in baptism like we saw these four do this past week, there's no better time than today. The present is awaiting. If you need anything at all, let us know while we come and sing.